When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to More Than Amused Podcast, a podcast all about women and the arts, hosted by Stani and Sadie. Join us as we explore what it's like being a female artist, examine modern day problems, and educate ourselves and you on important and forgotten female artists of the past. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to More Than Amused Podcast. I'm Stani. And I am Sadie. And wherever you are in the world, thank you for tuning in and thank you for listening this week. We're happy yes. to be here. We are happy to be here. It is a beautiful day. Summer is near and it is exciting to be back here to talk about another female artist. Yes. Now, today I'm talking about Patsy Cline. Do you know who Patsy Cline is? It sounds so familiar. I feel like you may have mentioned her I before. I probably have. So I have not always known who she was, but she is like my music icon or one of them. I obviously have many and I don't know mm-hmm. how I've, we've gotten this far without talking about her more but oh well here we are now (laughs) how I originally discovered her is actually fun because so my grandpa um I think he was like moving out of a home and he had a bunch of old cds and like records that he asked me if I wanted um this was probably this is like years ago and of course you know I was like sure I'll take them I'll take your old music stuff and so he gave them to me and at the time in my car the like connector that I could like use to plug in my phone or like however I did that it wasn't working properly so I just had this like old Tupperware with all these CDs that I would just play in my car yeah Yeah. (laughs) and one of them was like a Patsy Cline greatest hits album and you know there were a lot of like CDs that I went through that he gave me that like yeah, of course, like I enjoyed, but I loved this Patsy Cline album and would just play it all the time when I drove. So that's awesome. Yeah. So that's how I originally fell her, like fell in love with her and was really introduced to her. But like doing like I'd heard things like about her life, about her story. Um, she, It's actually a pretty tragic story because she actually died pretty young in a tragic accident in a plane crash. Oh um, man. So like her life was just cut so soon, but in doing just like research for her like during about her life, I just like didn't know so much stuff. And I feel like she is just like this amazing example of just resilience. And like she had so many failures, but she is now considered like pretty much like the f- like the original like woman country singer who like really like paved the way for everyone else and she was also one of the first women in country to like have the crossover hit like to be a country star but then also have that pop hit so like she paved the way for miss swift you know yeah so she yeah she has an amazing huge legacy and she's just so incredible 
So I'm very, very excited to be talking about her and to dive into her life today because it's just, it's just insane. I'm excited to learn more. Are you a country music fan at all? Um, hmm, I enjoy country music every once in a while. I wouldn't say when I sit down to turn on music myself, I choose country. Yes. But I did grow up doing 4-H. I worked at IFA for a while, and my dad is like an avid country music listener. So I will say it's been in the background yes. music of my life multiple times. Good to Cool. That makes sense. Yeah. I feel like <laughs> I, in like high school, I was definitely one of those people that was like, I like all genres except for country music. But... <laughs> I think now is like just being a songwriter. I can like I'm like no country songwriting is like so good. Oh but yeah. But I feel like it was like listening to Patsy Cline and then listening to Dolly Parton and like getting a lot more interested in these like older country stars is what brought me a lot more respect for the genre as a whole. And now I'm like yeah I like country music. It's I'm the same though that it's not like really my go to mm-hmm. when I'm listening to music unless it's summertime. Country music and summertime are nice. They just fit really they, well. They fit I really agree. well. Yeah. But but one thing, too, is I love I, – I generally lean to, like, women country singers. I I guess I'm just sexist in that way, but I just prefer women country singers over I, the – Yeah. The I mean, I men. generally lean to, like, all female singers. Same. So. <laughs> so might I be you. on purpose, might not be. It's fine. No, the other day I like really liked this song by a guy and I was like, oh, but I can't add it to this playlist because it's specifically for women and like all these ones. And I was like, okay, Stani, like time to just like own up and create a playlist that has men and women. (laughs) That's so like there's so many like a lot of like my like workout playlist or like girl power or like pump up playlist. I'm like Mm -hmm. in the title. It's like woman. Or, like, girl power. Like, you know, very basic and cliche, but that's what it is. So, yeah, whenever a song comes, I'm like, ugh, but a man sings this. I'm like, okay, well, no, it's still a bop. It's fine. (laughs) I know. It's like, I need to create a collaborative one. Like, men can create good music, too. (laughs) It's like reverse sexism. (laughs) I know. So bad. But it's just because of, um, I remember in high school having a conversation with someone and I think it was a boy where they were just like I just don't really enjoy female song like singing voices and I remember thinking about that and then I was like oh my gosh all the music I listen to besides Taylor Swift is pretty much men Mm -hmm. Um, and I couldn't figure out why like I didn't know what the reason behind it was and I was like well maybe I don't like female singing voices and then as I listened to a lot more of female artists, I was like, no, that's not the problem. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, yeah. I, I'm pretty much the same. I feel like it was like in college, I dated a guy who was like in a band and like listened to a lot of like the alternative indie music, you know, who and those are generally like guys, you know, like just yes. bands. And Always. so when I, I feel like that's a lot of what I listened to because that's what he was listening to and a lot of what my friends were listening to. And then I think it was like when I got out of that relationship, I was just like, I just, I just need to listen to women. And I kind of called mm-hmm. myself out for it where I was like, I want people to listen to my music and respect my music, but I don't even listen to women singers. Like I'm being a hypocrite and yeah. yeah. And now I've just dived in and now I love it. 
And now I can't. And now I, now I don't listen to men anymore. So justice. (laughs) Anyways, though, I feel like people have very like really strong opinions about country music. Like it's pretty, Mm -hmm. it's pretty common for people to be like, oh, I hate country music or I love all genres except for country music. But if you're one of those people, it's okay. I understand. But I encourage everyone to listen to some Patsy Cline because she's just truly so good. And like, uh, I just, I just love her. I love every performance she has. It's just so good. I was just going to say really quick, the one of my favorite things about country music is like the storytelling. Yes. Um, they just do a really, really great job of being able to tell a story within a song. And a lot of that, other genres aren't as able to do that. So I love that. And I think that's what music. like finally sold me on it. Where I think I listened to a song mm-hmm. and I was like, oh my gosh, like no other genre of music can like does it this way. And it's mm-hmm. so amazing. Anyways, I'm going to dive into her life then. So... Patsy Cline. She was actually born Virginia Patterson Hensley. So Patsy Cline is a stage name. And she was born September 8th, 1932. So like during the Great Depression, I believe. Right? Oh, wow. Yeah, that would be. And her mom was only 16 years old at the time that she was born, which is what crazy. Yes. Uh. Her father, whose name was Sam Hensley, had been married before. So she had two half siblings that were age 12 and 15, but they actually lived with the foster family because of their mother's death years before, which is interesting that I don't know why they would combine families. I don't know. Um, and then Patsy had, um, had two younger siblings from her own mom. So she had two half siblings and two, you know, full siblings, I guess. In her childhood, though, her family had to move a lot, move around a lot because Samuel, her father, who was a blacksmith, could not find steady employment. Um, So when the family didn't have a lot of money, she would oftentimes find work, which like would be like her working in like a poultry factory where she would like pluck the chickens, basically. Okay. So from a very young age, she's having to do all that to try and support her family. Uh, But eventually her family settled in Winchester, Virginia, and I think that's where she spent, um, like, you know, the remainder of her childhood. And, like, I think that's what she really considered to be home. An interesting story. So at the age of 13, I didn't know this until I was, you know, just researching for this episode. So apparently Klein, she was hospitalized with a throat infection and a, like, a really bad fever. And so this is her quotes talking about this. Um, She said, I developed a terrible throat infection and my heart even stopped beating. The doctor put me in an oxygen tent. You might say it was my return to the living after several days that launched me as a singer. That fever affected my throat. And when I recovered, I had this booming voice like Kate Smith's. And then it was during that time right after that she actually developed an interest in singing. So I'm like, I don't know much about, I'm like, how to fever like affect your throat permanently i don't know she must have been really sick but apparently recovering from that she felt like it had changed and that it had given her her singing voice which is interesting. that's so interesting yeah but you know during that time she really got involved in music she started performing with her mom in the local baptist choir and apparently her and her mom would perform duets at just like church social events and she also taught herself how to play piano during this time Wow. Mm-hmm. So she really just dives into music. Um, so when she was 14, which is, you know, a year after she was sick, apparently she like declared to her mom that she was going to audition for the local radio station. Um, and so this is in the, 
like, I guess early 40s then. Yeah, or mid 40s. Um, so her first radio performance was began at WINC in the Winchester area. And according to the radio disc jockey, Jolton Jim McCoy was the name. Um, she appeared in the station's waiting room one day and just asked to audition. And apparently he was like so impressed by her audition performance. And re- reportedly he said, well, if you've got enough nerve to stand before that mic and sing over the air live, I've got enough nerve to let you. And so then she made her debut on the local radio station wow which the I think guts. Is cute I know I'm just like I did not I don't think I had that bravery to just show up somewhere and be like hey I want to sing here at 14 I know sometimes I wonder if it's like easier because it was back then and like everything was still kind of new and that's why or if it's just like if you were to do that today do you think people would still be like sure I know that's what I have no idea and I've wondered the same yeah. um during the while, so she would perform on the radio, but she also started appearing in like talent contests and created kind of like a nighttime cabaret act similar to the performer Helen Morgan that she would just perform locally in her hometown, which I just feel like, oh my gosh, she just like made all this happen for herself because she decided yeah. she wanted to, which is insane. That's the way to do it. Honestly, apparently. I feel like everyone we've talked to, it's just like they yeah. follow a very similar pattern like this mm-hmm. and then they made their dreams come true actually <laughs> okay okay <laughs> the pressure so her mother and father though had marital problems a lot during her childhood it uh, i don't feel like she re- well i know she didn't grow up in a very good home life i know she suffered abuse from her father i don't really want to get into it just because you know it's dark it's heavy and i want to focus more on the positive legacies of her life but i do know that she had a very hard home life um but he deserted the family by 1947 um which caused her to have to go to work so this is when she was entering ninth grade she enrolled in high school however the family had you know a really hard time sustaining the income of of course after her father their father left um so she had to drop out of high school so she could support the family and she just started working at a drugstore in the local area gosh i know that's so young i know so the other thing too is apparently though she did have a very good relationship with her mom and probably because they were on, only like 16 years apart that people often would like mistake them as sisters rather than mother and daughter and i think even the mom describes their relationship as it feeling more like sister relationships rather than a mother daughter so apparently yeah. quote that they, they had a very beautiful relationship which is nice at least she had a good mom it reminds me of like Gilmore Girls, like Lorelai yeah. and Rory. Yeah. Just being very so fitting. Close. Mm-hmm. <laughs> okay. So starting the career or I guess the quest that she went on to have a career. So at the age of 15, she wrote a letter to the Grand Ole Opry asking for an audition. And for those who don't know what the Grand Ole Opry is, it's kind of like if you want to be a successful country singer i don't know i guess i don't know how prominent it is now but i feel like it actually is because the grand Ole opry is like a venue that's kind of like a symbol of success within the country music world like okay. if you're invited to play there or if you're invited to be a member of the grand Ole opry it is very much a signal as success as a country music star so it's a very big deal. I mean, and obviously it's been around forever that if even in the late 40s, Patsy Cline realized that that's where she wanted to end up. So yeah. Grand Ole Opry was her goal. So, and I think it's so funny. She's like wrote them a letter 
um, asking for an audition. And apparently she told a local photographer about the letter and quote says, a friend thinks I'm crazy to send it, but what do you think? And the photographer encouraged her to send it. And several weeks later, she actually received received a return letter from the Opry and asked for pictures and for recordings. Um, wow. I know. And at the same time, there was a gospel performer who's named Wally Fowler. Um, he headlined a concert in her hometown and she convinced the concert employees to let her backstage where she asked him for an audition. And so following a successful audition with him, then their family received a call asking for her to audition to the Opry. So her, her mom, her two siblings, and I guess a family friend traveled to Nashville, Tennessee, which was an eight hour drive. Um, apparently they drove overnight and they slept in a parking lot or a Nashville park, excuse me, that following morning. Um, she performed for an Opry performer the same day. The possess- Apparently, the audition was really well received, and she expected to hear from the Opry the same day. However, she never received news, and so her family just moved right back to Virginia. What? I know. They never got back to her? Apparently, they just never got back to her, and so they just drove back. And that's so sad. I know. And I think this is just like it starts this trend with her where she asks for something like she's already at this point asked for like three auditions just by sneaking into dressing rooms or sending random letters in the hopes of getting it. You know, she's she like asks and asks and asks and and it's just it doesn't always work out for her. And it's very sad. So this is kind of like the first failure, I guess, is that she didn't hear back from this audition. But Throughout the early 50s, she did continue to perform around in the local area. 1952, she asked to audition for a local county band leader whose name was Bill Peer. Um, and following her audition, I guess she began performing regularly as a member of the Bill Peer's Melody Boys and Girls. I'm not exactly for sure what it was, but it sounds like it was some type of performing group in that Virginia area. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, actually, take that back. I misread they actually played primarily in the moose lodge in brunswick maryland which i'm sure was pretty close to where she was living in virginia um so they had regular gigs there and there is where she would actually meet her first husband who was gerald klein and pierre who is you know the band leader encouraged her to kind of take on a more appropriate stage name so she changed her first name from virginia to patsy um which was taken from her middle name which was patterson um, but then she kept her new last name, Klein. So she, and that's where she ended up getting the name Patsy Klein from. Okay. Which like, yeah, I guess Virginia Hensley is not quite as catchy as Patsy Klein. Yeah. So I guess it was I a get good, it. Virginia Hensley sounds very like old money. Yes, Traditional it does. Southern, you know. Yeah. But yeah, I guess Patsy Klein does sound very like show business. So. I think so. Probably um, a good move. Yeah, good move. So in 1953, she won a contest in a local country music contest, which apparently got her $100 and the opportunity to perform as a regular on the Connie B. Gay's Town and Country Time. And I guess like the show um, included like other contemporary country stars at the time, Jimmy Dean, Roy Clark, George Hamilton and Billy Grammer um, and was filmed in Washington, D.C. and Arlington, Virginia. She wasn't, though, officially added to the program's television shows until October of 1955. So Mm. I think she, like, won the opportunity to do it, and then it just didn't actually end up happening for two years. I'm not really sure. 
But her performance on the television show, though, did help her receive critical acclaim. The Washington Star magazine praised her stage presence, commenting, she creates the moods through movement of her hands and bodies and by the lilt of her voice, reaching way down deep in her soul to bring forth the melody. Most female country music vocalists stand motionless, sing with monotonous, high-pitched nasal twang. Patsy's come up with a throaty style loaded with motion and emotion. Hmm. So that was a review that was left for her so it was very um impactful that performance and because of that performance um in 1954 bill peer who was you know the band leader that she had been performing regularly with at the time which side note i'm pretty sure they had an affair together which is just interesting i guess um they Mm -hmm. both stayed married to their prospective partners and husband slash wife but they did have some type of romantic connection her and him but he created and distributed a series of like demo tapes with patsy's voice on it and one of these tapes was brought to the attention of whose name is bill mccall who was the president of four star records and september 30th of that same year which is 1954 she signed a two-year recording contract with the label alongside pierre actually and alongside her husband gerald klein which I'm very curious of how that dynamic was. I wonder yeah. if the husband knew. I'm very curious. <laughs> That's interesting. Mm-hmm. So, but now though, she finally has a recording contract after, you know, multiple times of it, you know, not working out. The, However, the original contract allowed four stars to receive most of the money from any songs that she recorded. So she received a little of the royalties back, totaling about 2.34% on her recording contract, which is like, we could go into a whole other conversation on the way that record labels definitely take advantage of new artists. Um, which like I get, you know, record labels finance things. So like we can consider that, but also like 2.34% is an insane amount if you're the artist. Like, I just feel like yeah. that's insane. <laughs> I mean, they're supposed to help you, not, like, screw you over. Exactly. messed up. So, her first recording session, though, took place in Nashville, Tennessee, January 5th of 1955. I guess songs for this session were handpicked by McCall, who is the president of the record label, and another person whose name, Paul Cohen. Four stars released the recordings to a larger Decca Records. Apparently, this kind of helped her get close to a producer who was named Owen Bradley. And that was a professional relationship that would continue well into the 60s. Her first single mm. was, was released in 1955. Um, and it was called A Church, A Courtroom, Then Goodbye. And she actually had the opportunity to perform this song at the Grand Ole Opry um, and promoted it with the first appearance there. But the song was just not successful. And between 1955 and 1966, she had four singles through this record deal and they just failed to become hits. I, hmm. I don't know like how successfully they did do, but the songs just did not catch on. And I yeah. guess were kind of considered failures but she kept going because she does and because she's amazing yeah Um, during this time though she continued to perform regionally a lot um but then in 1956 she appeared on abc's country music jubilee apparently like the ozark jubilee whatever that it was at one of her local performances 
that she would meet her second husband, whose name is Charlie Dick. So side note about her personal life there. Yeah. 1956 again, um, she received a call to perform on Arthur Godfrey's talent show, which was a national television show that she had auditioned for several months prior. She accepted the offer. This is kind of funny. So I don't really know the technicalities of this TV show or the rules of it, but she used her mom as her quote unquote talent scout for the show. But for the show's rules, talent scouts could not be family members. And so for those reasons, they actually both just lied about it to appear on the show and then i guess like the arthur godfrey who was the creator of the show asked the mom like oh so have you known klein her whole life she replied well about or yes just about her whole life so i don't know why they had to lie about it and i don't know why that wasn't a rule but i just think that's funny but also it just shows like the fact that like she's performing at so many different random television like random television shows random talent shows like regional things like just shows that like she was obviously just kind of like auditioning for every single thing she could and there were so many failures and then just like these really random successes that just kind of like took her one step forward you know what i mean yeah Mm -hmm. but this television show really helped her out so she flew to new york city on january 18th 1957 and she made her debut performance on this program on january 21st So the day of the show, she met with the show's producer, whose name was Janet Davis, and Klein had chosen a song that was called A Poor Man's Roses or A Rich Man's Gold to perform on the program. But Davis performed another song that Patsy had recorded that was called Walkin' After Midnight. And I guess Klein initially initially refused to perform it, but she ultimately agreed and conceded and decided to perform Walkin' After Midnight. She also suggested to Patsy that she wore more of a cocktail dress instead of kind of the typical cowgirl outfit that Patsy normally would perform in. So that's what she ended up doing. She completely changed her look and sang the song that the producer suggested she sing. And she performed Walkin' After Midnight and she won the contest perform like the performance contest that night. The song had not yet been released as a single, but in order to kind of just keep up with this public demand, they rush released the song as a single on February 11th. So literally like two weeks later. Um, And the song became her breakthrough hit. It peaked at number two on the Billboard Hot Country charts and it reached number 12 on the Billboard pop music charts. And and that's like song is now considered like a classic, like a staple in country music. That's crazy. So, yeah, like hit number 12 on the pop music charts, which like is it's very high. (laughs) And then because of the success of this song, Walking After Midnight, Klein accepted like numerous appearances on shows um tv shows major networks but she continued working for arthur godfrey over the next several months she appeared on the grand Ole opry in february and the television show western ranch party in march which like now all these names of these tv shows don't really mean a lot to me but i'm imagining that at the time they were a very big deal for her to be a part of (laughs) apparently the money that she had earned from her numerous engagements totaled out to be ten thousand dollars which she gave all of the money to her mother which she used to pay off the mortgage on their home which that's so sweet Mm -hmm. in august 1957 her debut studio album was issued and was released so her debut album is out but then her follow-up singles to Walkin' After Midnight did not yield similar success. Some people think that this was partially due to the quality of material chosen for her to record. 
I guess that she, she, and she was very dissatisfied with the limited success that she did have, especially after this big breakout hit that was walking after midnight. Um, and apparently like there's the, one of the producers like kind of recalled her often saying like, can't you do something? I just feel like a prisoner. And around the same time, Klein was fired from her regular slot on the town and country jamboree. And according to Connie B. Gay, oh, I don't know exactly who that is, but according to someone, she ran late for shows and quote, showed up late with liquor on her breath. Oh no. So she was going through things. Yeah. I think she was going through things. September 1957 is when she met, when she actually married her husband, Charlie, and she also gave birth to her first daughter, Julie. After this, though, she hoped to restarting her career. They were living in North Carolina at the time for a military assignment. But after the birth of her daughter, um, she moved, her and her family moved back to Nashville, Tennessee. So mm. this is like another thing, like she finally gets that taste of success, but then what immediately followed kind of flopped but she comes back she's back in nashville tennessee and she's gonna give it another go good so you know like i said just a great example of just resilience early 60s though is really when her professional decisions kind of started working out to her so she moved back to nashville she signed a management deal with someone named randy hughes I guess she had originally wished to work with someone else, but he was just too busy. So she ended up going with Hughes, which is probably one of the best decisions she could have made for her career. And with the help of Hughes, she began working more steady jobs. Um, Apparently, like he organized her with like standard bookings and got her multiple performances at the Grand Ole Opry. In January 1960, she officially became a member of the Opry, which is a very big deal. Like I mentioned, it's like the step up from getting to perform there. Like if you're a member there, it's like you're, you're, it's like you're welcomed into the country music world. I feel. Yeah, you're a part of the club. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Apparently, there's a thing where she asked the general manager, whose name was Ott Divine, about a membership, and he just replied, "Patsy, if that's all you want, you're on the Opry." So wow, I don't know like why they didn't give it to her without her asking, but I don't know. I guess it worked. In yeah. 1960, she made her final recording session set forth with her contract with four star records her final singles with them were was lovesick blues and crazy dreams um and she left that record label and officially signed with decker records in late 1960 um and i guess at this point she insisted on receiving an advance and so she received a thousand dollars straight up from bradley once she began at the label and i don't really know how how good of a deal it was or how common that was but at least now she's like actually getting some advance on money and it's not the two percent royalties that she was getting at the old place it was better than what she had that's for sure exactly we're gonna take a quick break just to spotlight one of our new favorite women artists I found this girl on TikTok. She popped up on my For You page, and her name is Haley Mae Campbell. I'll spell it because there's like a million different ways to spell Haley. It's H-A-L-E-Y-M-A-E-C-A-M-P-B-E-L-L. And she, her video went viral of her showing her best friend the song she wrote about him. Mm. Oh, I think I've yeah, seen that. Yeah, you've probably seen it. And then now her song's coming out really soon, so she's been promoting all of it. But it's a really, really cute song. It's called Never Been In Love. Yeah. And it's definitely country-inspired. So it's really cute song. She seems like a really cute girl. I think she lives in Nashville right now. Maybe not. 
but it's definitely country music. So there'll be a fun one, very fitting with this episode. And yeah. she's on Instagram with the same username. So and she's putting out music her soon. Out. So go shout yeah. out. Yeah. And she's just fun and she has a good voice. That's all. So <laughs> go check and her out. And that video is cute. It is cute. Go watch the video. Okay, so this person that I'm shouting out is also a country, local country singer. So, staying on theme today. Um, This person is named Maddie Wilson, um, and her Instagram is just Maddie Wilson Music. Um, I, like, have this, like, very random connection to her where the first place that I moved into when Jordan and I got married... It actually ended up being her place. So I like kind of met, I met her to like look at the apartment and I like recognized her as like someone that I followed on Instagram. And I was like, oh, and they were moving out of that place because she was actually moving to Nashville. So, oh, cool. I was like, wow, living my dream. I'll be there soon. Anyways, she's really good. She like recently put out a song called Wounded about her experience and like struggles with infertility and it's very beautiful and very moving and just kind of goes to like I just feel like the way country music is it can just capture songs and like stories that just other genres can't and she's really good really good songwriter so check her out again that's Maddie Wilson music so fun I know all right now back to the show So her first release under this new record label was a song. It was in 1961. It was called I Fall to Pieces. And the song was, I guess, written by some Nashville songwriters named Hank Cochran and Harlan Howard. Um, I guess so this song had been turned down by Brenda Lee, by Roy Dresky, and then Klein cut it in November of 1960. And I guess at the recording session, she was worried about the song's production, um, particularly the background vocals that were on it. And there was a lot of arguing between her and the producer. And so, but then they finally negotiated that she would record I Fall to Pieces. And, but then in exchange that they would also, she would also record another song that apparently she liked more, which was called Love and in Vain. So they ended up releasing, though, I Fall to Pieces as a single in January of 1961. Apparently, which is interesting, it attracted very little attention upon the initial release. But then in April, the song debuted on the Hot Country and Western Song charts. And then by August of that year, the song had become her first to top the country chart and then also peaked again at number 12 on the pop charts. That's so interesting. Yeah, I don't know how that happened where like it came out in January. No one really cared about it. And then here comes April. It starts going. And then by August, it's number one. Like I'm just, I wonder what happened that caused that. I know. I'm like trying to think of examples, but like the only thing I can think of is how like TikTok now, like songs that people haven't paid attention to for years are like becoming really, really popular. So maybe something happened. Yeah. Or, like, oh, for example, like, right now the TikTok trend is, like, Circus by Britney Spears. Yes. And I'm like, this song came out forever ago. Like, what? This is so random. All eyes on me in the center of the ring just like a circus. I mean, I love that song, so. I know, but it's, like, like total the, callback. I know. So random. I wonder mm-hmm. if that song is going to, like, I don't know, actually go up in the charts because of the TikTok. I don't know. It would be funny. A few of them have. I know, um... A couple of artists released new lyric videos for some of the songs because of how popular they got. I know yeah. Billy Joel has been like really happy because a few of his songs have gotten like big on TikTok. Played, yeah, big on TikTok for a while. So, so it's kind of funny. Like it's interesting to see that happen. I know. Um, 
So I wonder if maybe it got used for like an ad or like a TV show or something. I know. And or then, like maybe yeah. like she had like a good performance on TV that like made people really like it. I don't know. Yeah. And then they're like, oh, this song that we have been not paying attention to. Mm-hmm. It's just interesting. Um, June 14th of this same year, 1961, her and her brother Sam were involved in a pretty scary car accident. Um, she had brought her mother, her sister, and her brother to see her new Nashville home the day before. And on the day of the accident, her and her brother went shopping to buy, I guess, just like material. Um, and then upon driving home, they were struck head on by another vehicle, which threw her directly into the car windshield, which caused like really bad like face injuries and like a lot of other things like she suffered a broken wrist dislocated hip this was not good oh yeah and then apparently when first responders arrived though she was like very insistent that the driver of the other vehicle to be treated first two of the three passengers riding in the car that struck klein apparently ended up dying like it was a really scary bad accident um, but when she was brought to the hospital, her injuries were life-threatening and she was not expected to live. She underwent surgery, but she ended up surviving. And according to her husband, Charlie, upon waking up, she said, Jesus was here, Charlie. Don't worry. He took my hand and he told me, no, not now. I have other things for you to do. Whoa. And she spent a month recovering in the hospital after that. Which That's is, insane. I know. Was her brother okay? I, yeah, I think I, it doesn't say that he died. So, yeah. Okay. That's nuts, though. After six weeks, though, six weeks after the accident, excuse me, um, she went back to music. Her fu- her first public appearance was on the Grand Ole Opry stage, and I guess she assured fans that she would continue performing. She said to the audience that night, you're wonderful. I'll tell you one thing. The greatest gift I think that you folks could have given me was the encouragement that you gave me right at the very time I needed you the most. You came through with the flyingest colors, and I just want to say you'll just never know how happy you made this old country gal. And her follow-up single then was really what ended up being her big break. And it was this song called Crazy. Um, This song was written by Willie Nelson, um, whose version of the song was first heard by her husband. And when her husband brought the song to Klein, she just, she did not like it. But apparently (laughs) he encouraged her to record it. And she replied with, I don't care what you say. I don't like it. And I ain't going to record it. And that's that. But then her producer <laughs> liked the song and pretty much just set up the recording thing. And then when she got to the studio the day that he had planned recording it, he finally convinced her just to do it. And then when she listened to like the original Willie Nelson version of it, that's I think what finally convinced her to do it. And then she decided that she was going to do it differently, though, from what he did so apparently mm-hmm. his version of the song included like a spoken section she didn't like that so she cut it so she changed it you know from how it was originally done took it out so that it was something that she would feel comfortable doing because klein though was performing from this accident performing the song's high notes kind of caused her rib pain so giving her mm-hmm. time to rest she sent her home he, like the producer sent her home while the producer laid down the tracks without her and then a week later she went she came back and recorded her vocal in one single take which if you wow. hear the song it's like just so amazing and so now hearing that that was done on like one take because you know a lot of times when like musicians are recording like everyone does it where they'll have like <laughs> or like even like I do like I'm recording vocals right now for a song I'm putting out soon and it's like I'll go through and like record the same word five times just to see if I can get that word a little bit better. So the fact that she did a performance that amazing in one take, it's just really amazing. That's crazy. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think I could ever imagine doing anything in, in one take. Yeah. One take. I know. I guess our podcast is one take, but that's but, different. But with editing, so. <laughs> yeah, true. <laughs> We're going to cut out any weird things we say. <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. So her this song was released as a single in October of 1961. It debuted on the, it debuted on the Billboard Country Charts in November. It would peak at at number two on the country charts and then be number nine on the pop charts. So it was a top 10 pop hit. Um, and that was like, yeah, her biggest pop hit and kind of became a country music standard at this point. In November of 61, she was invited to perform as part of the Grand Ole Opry show at Carnegie Hall in New York City. Um, she was joined by Opry stars Minnie Pearl, Grandpa Jones, Jim Reeves, Bill Monroe, Marty Robbins, and Farron Young. And despite positive reviews, apparently the New York journalist... Um, said everybody should get out of town because the hillbillies are coming. Um, <laughs> but, and like, apparently that comment really upset Patsy, but it did not affect ticket sales. And that performance in New York ended up being sold out. So people were excited to see her. And the end of the year, she won several major industry awards, including favorite female vocalists from the Billboard magazine and Cashbox magazine's most programmed female artist. Um Aww. So it's like she's finally like after chasing it for years and years, like over a decade at this point, she's like finally getting national recognition. Um, In 1961, she also went back in the studio and recorded her next album. Um, Among the first songs she recorded was She's Got You. Apparently, he pitched the song to Klein over the phone, but then she insisted to hear it in person. Um, No, he insisted for her to hear it in person. So he brought the recording over to Mm. her house along with a bottle of alcohol. And I guess upon listening to it again in person, she decided that she liked the song and that she wanted to record it. (laughs) Um, So She's Got You became her third country pop crossover hit by early 1962. It'd also be her second number one on the Billboard's country chart. Um, And also, I guess it was her first entry into the United Kingdom singles um, chart reached number 43 in the uk so she's getting like international recognition at this point that's awesome um 1962 she had three major hits with when i got when i get through with you so wrong and imagine that um her career success helped her finally become financially stable enough to purchase her first home and she bought a ranch house located in tennessee or a suburb in a suburb of nashville um Mm -hmm. which I guess like the home was like decorated by herself. It had a music room, bedrooms, a big backyard. And according to one of her friends, um, the house was her mansion and it was the sign that she'd arrived. And apparently she called it her dream house and she would just invite friends over all the time. And I think she like took that as like, I finally made it. I love that. I know. In August of this of 62, her third studio album, Sentimentally Yours, was released. It featured She's Got You, as well as several country and pop standards. Um, according to a biographer, Ellis Nassar, her royalties were coming in slim, and she needed financial security. So what she ended up doing was doing kind of like a Vegas residency, sh- residency show for 35 days. Um, apparently, she did not like the experience. Um, and that like she was home. So homesick, homesick, homesick. She developed dry throat and she just like wanted to go home and be with her children. Um, but because of that, she became the very first female country artist to headline her own show in Las Vegas. So that's cool. I know during this time, you know, she's at like the top of her success, but apparently she started, she said that she started like seeing, experiencing like premonitions of her own death. 
Um, apparently, Dottie West, June Carter Cash, and Loretta Lynn recalled Patsy telling them that she felt a sense of impending doom and that she did not expect to live much longer. In letters, though, she would also describe the happiness of her new career successes. In January 1963, her next single, Leave It On Your Mind, was released and debuted on the Billboard Country Cart soon after. In February, she recorded her final sessions for Decca Records. Among the songs recorded were Sweet Dreams, He Called Me Baby, and Faded Love. Um, and she arranged for her friends, Jan Howard and Dottie West, to come and hear the session playbacks. Um, and according to Howard, I think this is a nice quote, where she said, I was in awe of Patsy. You know, afterward, you're supposed to say something nice, and I couldn't talk. I was just dumbfounded. Oh, I know. So just really sad. So that happens in February and she ended up um, dying really young when she was 30 years old on March 3rd of 1963. um, She was performing at a benefit at the Soldiers and Sailors Memorial Hall in Kansas City, Kansas. And yeah, for like a family for the family of the disc of a popular disc jockey um, who had actually died in an automobile automobile crash just a month earlier. And yeah, I, don't, I mean, so yes, yeah, on the way home, though, um, they had a plane crash and she ended up dying in that, which was really very sad. And it's like it's so it like really is heartbreaking to me because it's like there are so many moments of failure in her life where she got up and kept going. Like, I don't think everyone who gets told no as many times as she ended up being told no, you know, keeps going. And then at the height of her success is like she yeah. she dies and it in the most in such a tragic horrifying way and it's horrible that it was like for someone else that died in a tragic accident and then like they mm-hmm. die in a tragic accident like that's just it's so sad yeah that's really awful but you know like her legacy did continue and since klein's death so her recording so she had all of these you know all this music that she had recorded like literally the month before she had ended up dying so the recording label re-released her music um and she's and that's kind of continued i think to have a lot of success posthumously her the patsy klein story was the first compilation album that the label released following her death it included the song sweet dreams of you faded love and both of these tracks were released as singles in 1963 i guess sweet dreams would reach number five on the billboard country charts and number 44 on the pop 100 faded love would also hit would be a top 10 hit and then in 1967 they released the compilation of patsy klein's greatest hits which is the album that i fell in love with it peaked number 17 on the billboard country charts but it also certified diamond in sales from the recording industry association america um in 2005 the guinness world book of records included the greatest hits album for being the longest album on any record to chart by a female artist so wow that's cool um, that is cool. And then 1973, she became the first f- solo female artist elected to the Country Music Hall of Fame. Wow. In 1977, excuse me. So her, she had a very good friend named Loretta Lynn, who was a country music, um, you know, singer and performer. She released a tribute album to her late friend titled I Remember Patsy. The record contained covers of Klein's songs, including Back in Baby's Arms and Crazy. And the album's lead single was She Got She was she got you which would receive the number one spot on the billboard country chart um in 1995 
Patsy ended up receiving a Grammy Lifetime Achievement Award for her legacy and her career. And then additionally, her hits, which were I Fall to Pieces and Crazy, received inductions into the Grammy Hall of Fame. Hmm. So I think it's like, it's just so sad that it like after her death, after like her just like working so hard for like 15 years, she's like had a two year, you know, long career. But I, I at least really appreciate that there were obviously people who wanted to maintain her legacy because they realized how important she was, you know? Mm -hmm. No, definitely. That's so crazy though. Like, Mm-hmm. So many accomplishments and like downfalls and disappointments, but then also like what a sad ending to it all too. That like, yeah. In 1991, MCA Records issued her first box set entitled the Patsy Cline Collection, um, which apparently it chronicled all of her recorded materials for everything. And the bots, the box set received like very positive reviews. And this is a excerpt from a review about it. It said, if an artist ever deserved a box set, chronicling her entire career it is patsy klein have her recording 102 sides between 1955 and her death at the age of 30 in 1963 klein changed not only country music forever but affected the world of pop as well over four cds arranged chronologically the listener gets treated to a story and the development and maturation of a cultural icon who is at least in terms of her gift the equal of her legend which I thought was amazing. And then Rolling Stone also reviewed it and quote, um, Rob Sheffield said a badass cowgirl drama queen belts some of the torchiest, weepiest country songs ever hitting high notes that make you sob into your margarita. Oh, which I just really love that. (laughs) Yeah, that's awesome. Mm -hmm. Um, Wow. Something cool though. In 1993, she was included on the United States postal stamps as part of the legend series cool um in 1999 she received a hollywood walk of fame star and since the 90s she's like continued to receive like really big deal rankings and honors 1991 um the like the vh1 list was put her as number 11 for the 100 greatest women of rock and roll in 2003 she was included by country music television on their list of 40 greatest women of country music she ranked as number six on rolling stone's list of the 100 greatest singers of all time um Mm -hmm. the magazine would then later rank the on the 100 greatest country artists of all time she was placed at number 12 and then in 2017 the patsy klein museum opened in nashville tennessee um which is in the same building as the johnny cash museum so I feel like wow. I at least can appreciate that I feel like the country music world and the music world in general has really like wanted to set in stone just how impactful her career was and like who she was as a person. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like I at least I appreciate that even though it's so tragic that her life was cut so short that it seems like people have done their part to um pass on her legacy like there's been plays written about her there's been movies like documentaries people are utterly just fascinated by this woman and just who she was just to dive in a little bit more into her legacy um she has been like she's like seen as the pioneer for women in country music and she was like she's definitely the inspiration for many performers um Mm -hmm. there's apparently she had a quote she had an aggression aggression and boisterous attitude that gained her the respect of her male counterparts 
this is a quote. It said, she swaggered her way past stereotypes and other forces of resistance, showing the men in charge and the public in general that women were more than capable of singing about such hard subjects as divorce and drinking, as well as love and understanding, which I thought was really interesting and like kind of spoke to who her complexities of who she was. Another quote from her, it says, Klein helped prove that country music was not macho and that strong women could have a strong voice. And then in 2013, the Washington Post wrote about her. She's what I call a pre-feminist woman. She didn't open doors. She kicked them down. I love that. I know. I do too. And then That's I guess. so cool. I know. Someone else said that she transformed what it meant to be a female country star. But yeah, I love That's that. Awesome. Like she didn't open them. Like she kicked them down. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool. Wow. What an impactful person. I know. Um, and then she's gone on to influence like so many country music, women country singers, Reba McIntyre, Loretta Lynn, Leanne Rimes, Linda Ronstadt, mm. Sarah Evans, Dottie West, Casey Musgraves, Margot Price, Cindy Lauper, Brandi Carlisle, like so just so, so many. Yeah. Things. Holy cow. So yeah, I love Patsy Cline. If you if you don't know her and if you're not familiar with her music, like really just go listen to that Greatest Hits album or just any of her music, especially the song Crazy. Like I think just the way, I think I read a couple quotes of just like people talking about the way that she can capture emotion. But yeah, like it's just, it's just so good. And I just love it so much. I just, she is definitely a true inspiration to me as far as like, cause you know, how many times in this story is like, and then that didn't work out. And then that didn't work out. And those four singles yeah. were a flops and the three follow-up singles were a flop, but she just kept trying and she kept going back and she did it. And now she has this yeah. amazing legacy, even though she's like literally so much perseverance Mm -hmm. (laughs) like just over and over and over again it's incredible like she knew that this is where she belonged and that her legacy would be there and she wasn't willing to give up until she got there so that's really really cool yep so there's patsy klein for you one of my heroes and yeah hope you if you didn't know about her i'm glad i was able to introduce you to her yeah, and I'm excited to go listen. It's so good. You I blasting some country music this weekend. I like 60s country music is just oh, it's just so good. It's my favorite. <laughs> I'm excited. I love it. Well, that is that's all. But thank you everyone for tuning in and listening. If you've been enjoying the podcast, subscribe, give us a review, follow us on yes. Instagram. We'd love it. Please give us a review. That would be wonderful. Happy to have you here and tune in next week for another episode. Yep. We'll see you next week. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.